Hey everyone, it's James and welcome to the Notorious Banker Podcast. As of right now, 2,844 amazing followers at Bank Better Guy on Twitter, dozens more at patreon.com slash notoriousbanker, where for as little as a $1 subscription, you can help the Notorious Banker fight back against big banks. I say it every single time. Thank you so very much for the love and support. I really do appreciate it. And things are getting good, and I'm feeling good. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the banking world and um, here in the Notorious Bankers world as well. We had some vigilante customer service. Our friend Kevin in California, we rescued some money for him. And I wanted to give that um, story its own little special place in my feed because I really think it's an important discussion that we need to have about how Bank of America failed another customer again with fraud on his account. And I'm going to share with you a story that I had not shared as well with that. And it's a story of um, failure by the notorious banker. I usually do really well, but I had one fail failure of a story this summer and it was very similar to Kevin's. And I'm Honestly, I'm so happy for Kevin. I'm so happy he got his money, but I'm so frustrated that someone across the country from him had the exact same thing happen pretty much, and he got screwed out of his money. And he's a young kid. He actually blew out his knee like a couple of days after that. So that's why I wanted to make it a separate podcast because, um, you know, we're going to celebrate and hopefully interview Kevin um, for this upcoming podcast. But I want to tell the story of Jose, and it's really, really important uh, to discuss that, and I'll and I'll get to that in the future podcast. But you know, I have the window open here in my office. I am waiting for this amazing cool down that's supposed to happen. 101 degrees today. It's supposed to be in the mid 60s tomorrow. An amazing 40 degree or near 40 degree drop in temperature. I'm waiting for the cold breezes and the drizzling rains. I want it to be cool in here. Podcasts are better whenever it's cool in this damn room. Summertime podcasts with PPP and um, everything with the racial inequality stuff with Bank of America were fun. I love those podcasts. Those were some of my most popular podcasts. But it is freaking hot in here whenever I record these podcasts, which is typically 11 p.m. and it's still in the 90s over here. So I'm really hopeful for um, some great weather as I record this podcast. And, you know, I'm, I'm just excited about everything that I got going on. Of course, the book is still going. The podcast is as as successful as ever. Um, after the OnlyFans podcast, it just seemed like we got a lot of new listeners. So thank you so very much for that. And um, I can tell you that 2021 is going to be just as unique a year as 2020 when it comes to banks. So I'm looking forward to that calendar changing. Hopefully better days ahead for all of us. Um, the banking world will always provide some horrible stuff to talk about, though, and that's why I'm here. Today's podcast is basically one that I it seems like I do every couple of months, but there's always an interesting wrinkle to what's going on. And it's fees, 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 and it's denial of service, denial of service, denial of service. Bank of American Wells Fargo are just notorious, no pun intended on my name, for not delivering for their customers, you know. They, they pretend to deliver whenever you open up an account. They say that they'll be there, and then they're really not once you're signed, sealed, and delivered. I know this because I was a sales manager. I was a manager. I know the way that the regional managers think you are just a number. And when I say you're not just when you're just a number, I'm not saying you're an account number. No, you're a comma and decimal number. You, James, James Baca, James Notorious Banker, are worth 
$5,150.20. I have more than that, but I'm just saying you 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 are that number to them and that's all that matters. But you know, it shouldn't be that way. But in today's podcast, we're going to talk about a horrible new rule with Bank of America and their and their ATM banking one part of it and then the second part check cashing. Okay, like we've seen the YouTube videos of African Americans getting denied um, cashing their checks at the teller window in California. It's really horrible stuff. I hate that because it reminds me of me having to do that to people here in New Mexico. We see, um, you know, them denying checks whenever the line's busy. Oh, we don't have enough money for that. Oh, we can't. Uh, that check's for 5000 Well, we can do 2000 today, and we can give you a cashier's check. That way you can cash it a month later or some bullshit like that. And it's stupid. It makes no sense. While there's a new rule that's impacting actual Bank of America customers. They are, it's a check cashing rule that is impacting real customers. And they can't cash their checks at their bank that they signed up for, and it's ridiculous. So more on that in the first segment. And then secondarily, we're going to talk about Bank of America and their $1 billion quote commitment to help end racial and economic inequality. We got some details about what that may entail today. So I'm going to go into that very briefly. I can go two hours on that, but we're just going to hit it really quick. And I'm just going to tell you my opinion on what they announced today. And thirdly, Bank of America announced changes to its lower tier account why the fee went from 10 to 5 and how that's actually not a good thing because that account is still trash so much today and so little time so after this brief promotional consideration i'll be right back with more so please stick around hey everyone it's james also known as the notorious banker and i'm imploring you to join me on patreon that's patreon.com slash Notorious Banker. For as little as a $1 subscription, you can help join the Notorious Banker in his fight against big banks. Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Chase, and City are constantly screwing over customers, and the Notorious Banker shows customers how to fight back against big banks, and in some cases get money returned into their bank accounts. I'm great at what I do. With Vigilante customer service, we have recouped almost $1.1 million in 16 short months. That comes from 13 years of managerial experience at a big bank, financial acumen, policy knowledge, product knowledge, and much more. The Notorious Banker is asking for your help for as little as $1 a month in order to continue the fight to keep this job going full-time and to help more customers. $2 a month gets you additional content, $5 a month gets you an electronic version of my book, $15 will get you a paperback, but at least $1 a month will help contribute to the good fight. Help the Notorious Banker today by subscribing to his Patreon, patreon.com slash Notorious Banker, and I really, really hope to see you there. Thank you so much. Alright, I'm back with more Notorious Banker podcast. So I mentioned I don't talk to a lot of my former co-workers, my former contemporaries at Bank of America here in Las Cruces, New Mexico. There's only one branch. It used to be three 20 years ago. Then there was two until 2018 when I got fired. And now there's only one. But we're part of the El Paso market, southern New Mexico market. Um, so we get the worst of both worlds, I'll say, because El Paso, Texas isn't even considered part of Texas to the rest of Texas. El Paso, Texas might as well be Mexico the way that it's treated. 
and Las Cruces, New Mexico, to me, is a whole other world from Albuquerque and Santa Fe and Taos and all those places in northern New Mexico. It's a different type of food, a different type of Mexican food. It's just a different type of living in a way, and it really is. It's desert. It sucks. There's mountains here, but not really. Um, in, in El Paso, it's Texas, and everyone waves the Texas flag, but it's 90% Hispanic, 75% speak Spanish. It feels like a whole other land out there. So when you get into central Texas, you're like, this is nothing like El Paso. And I understand it too. Even the food in El Paso is different than here in southern New Mexico. We, we you know, and, I'm, and I said I get the worst of both worlds. What I mean by the worst of both worlds is we get awful customer service here. We get the shorter end of the stick because the people who manage um, the Bank of America's, the Chase's, or even like the BBVA banks of the world, they have to train in multiple states, multiple locations, so there's multiple perspectives on how to do customer service. And, you know, let's just say that you train in an affluent part of the state. You know, you're in El Paso, and all of a sudden you go to Dallas, where everyone has freaking money in, you know, Addison, Texas, or something like that. I trained in Addison, Texas. And you go there, and then the problems that actual customer service representatives have there are nothing like what they are in El Paso. It's nothing like what it is in Las Cruces. Because here, it's working class folks. It's day laborers, you know. We have people picking green chili. We have people picking cotton. Pecans. There's a shit ton of people who pick pecans over here. One of the pecan capitals of the world is over here in New Mexico. So you get these people who work these jobs, and they work 40 hours. They bust their ass. I can never do it, ever, in a million years. They make maybe seven fifty an hour, whatever the minimum wage is. Some of them maybe make 8 or $9 an hour. And you see that 40-hour paycheck at, you know, $9 an hour. That 40 hours, $49 an hour, $360 with taxes. And so that's like $280 or something. I don't know what it is. It's been a long time since I made that much, to be honest with you. Um... But you go into the bank and you want to cash that $280 paycheck. You're like, man, got to pay rent. The electric bill is $110 because there's 100 degrees every day. You're already mentally cashing that check in your head. You're already spending it. And that's what we do with all of our money. It doesn't matter if you have a million dollars or one dollar. When you have that money, you're already mapping out what you plan on doing with it. That's just life. Banks want you to believe that that's life. It's just thinking about your money all the time. So let's say every Friday you get that check and then you go wait in a bank line, you know, and then they go, well, sir, how can we help you today? Well, you know, I like to cash my check. Um, you know, did you know you could deposit this at the ATM? I'd rather just cash it. I need the cash right away. Okay, fair enough. Go ahead and stand in line. Uh, it's going to be about a 20-minute wait. They'll be right with you. Wait in line. You're like, I just can't wait to get out of here so I can pay my bills and go buy some groceries have a nice dinner with the family, relax Saturday and Sunday, watch some basketball, get back to work on Monday. Then you get to the teller and you cash, I like to cash my check. Do you have an account here? Yes, I do actually. Slide the card, beep, 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 enter your PIN number, and then you know, it brings up your account. My name is James Baca. I have $4.18 in my bank account because I'm broke because I wasted my last week's paycheck. Um, would you like to deposit this, Mr. Baca? Now I just need to cash it, and you know, i got to take care of some things out of here. So then they run the check, and then all of a sudden they get a big fat message on there that says, Do not cash. And then this is the teller. And, and, and usually I do my bank voice, but that's my bank manager's voice. But this is the teller. They're usually you know softer voice and a little bit more high-pitched. You know, Mr. Baca, I'm not going to be able to cash this check today. 
why is that? Well, it actually seems like you have about $4 in your checking account, and this check is for $280 something. So um, we're no longer allowed to cash checks that are more than what you have in your account if they're not on us. Not on us being non-Bank of America check. Well, what do you mean? I cash this check all the time. Well, yeah, you may have cashed it whenever you had the same amount of money in your account to do that. But right now, Bank of America is not allowing us to cash checks if you don't have an equal amount of money or greater in your account. What the fuck? Seriously, what the fuck? And I and I, I, I know I've been swearing a lot in the last few months on this podcast. And it's actually probably why it's got more popular. But it, it makes no freaking sense whatsoever. So this is a new rule. And I, I got a, I got a message from someone who works for Bank of America, and I'll be frank with you, I talked to someone who works at Bank of America that I used to work with in the New Mexico area, and and I reached out to this person after I got this message from the other person, and yes, in fact, it is true. Bank of America is no longer going to cash a check if it's not a Bank of America check for someone who does not have the same amount of money in their bank account makes no freaking sense whatsoever it makes no sense what's the whole point of a payday if you can't get paid if the bank is telling you that you got to put it into the account and um i i was able to take a look at what they sent their employees and it's ridiculous and i'm going to read the not on us check cashing part because i'm, I'm going to go off on it because it is it is really ridiculous so starting October 17th nationwide, but it's already happening in other places. I'll get to that in a second. It says, not on us check cashing. We will only cash checks drawn on other financial institutions for clients if the check amount is less than the available balance at the time of the transaction. A Merlin teller, Merlin teller is the system that tellers use to cash your checks. Redbox message will appear if the not on us check amount is greater than the available balance. And it says you'll learn about it in upcoming training. There's always a fucking training for something over there. Deposited funds will continue to be available the next business day unless a hold is placed. So, and it says the change has already uh, deployed to financial centers in Arkansas, Iowa, Nevada, New Mexico, my home state, Oklahoma, and Tennessee in January of this year. I didn't know about it until um, literally today, <laughs> and I had talked to someone about it this afternoon after getting it from a friend. Um, yeah, so it's been going on, and I'm surprised I haven't heard about it because this is a big thing here, and frankly, a lot of old customers have my phone number. And they give an example, so I'll give the example here. It says a client asks us to cash a Wells Fargo check for $2,000 inside a financial center. But his Bank of America available account balance is only $500. Since the balance is less than a not on us check, the client will be unable to cash it. Instead, he can deposit the funds and withdraw from the available balance. Yeah, he sure as hell can freaking withdraw from the available balance. It's his fucking money. $500 in his account is his money. It has nothing to do with that check. So here's where, here's where I go off. Here's where I get a little bit impassioned here, okay? So the whole point of check cashing Friday, the whole point of getting a paycheck is to cash your check and take care of stuff. So whenever you work hard, you sweat, you bust your ass, you're working as hard as you possibly can in order to make a great life for yourself and your family. And you get that piece of paper and it's all worth it at the end. You know, I used to, I used to get paychecks whenever I was in high school. That's how long it's been since I had uh, an actual papered paycheck. 
And it feels good. I, I, and I, I used to talk to my customers about that. It feels good to hold that because it feels like job well done. Here's a bunch of money for your hard work. So that person stands in line and they're going to be told that because they're broke beforehand, the whole fucking reason why they work anyway, that they're not going to be able to cash their check. And in fact, that they're going to have to deposit it and it should be available the next business day unless there is a hold which very well could be a hold, especially if you deposit it at the ATM. And there's a second part to this letter in a second here. This part pisses me off, okay? So, yes, I understand it's the year 2020. We're four months away from 2021. I understand that. It's the future. The future is now. We don't have George Jetson flying cars, but everything is digital now. Everyone is ordering food on their phone. You know, we are we are advanced as a society. But there are some parts of this country, this great country that, you know, that we live in, that we love, that are still stuck in their ways. And now I mentioned several states that already have this rule here. So you got Arkansas, you got Iowa, you got my home state in New Mexico, you got Nevada, Oklahoma, Tennessee. You have all these states, and they all have one thing in common. There's a lot of poor people in those states. I live in New Mexico, I know this. I've been to Nevada, the parts that aren't Vegas. It's really difficult living out there. Arkansas, there are impoverished neighborhoods there. I've been through Arkansas a couple of times. It's pretty rough. Oklahoma, there's a lot of indigenous people, a lot of tribes out there. Um, they have some you know, wealthier spots in Oklahoma, but for the most part, it's working class or lower. And Tennessee, you know, the whole, aside from Nashville being a hotspot in terms of wealth, in terms of growth and all that, you know, there's a lot of people who live in the mountains and the whole, you know, stereotype of rednecks or whatever i mean it's not the way that it is on tv or the movies but there are people who are living on the land i'll just put it that way they don't make a lot of money and they work their ass off for the little bit of money that they get all these states have that in common and a lot of these states bank of america has just basically eschewed in the last couple of years arkansas i've seen several bank closures by bank of america and some sales of some banks to Arvest Bank, I think it is. I think it's a bank that's affiliated with Walmart out there. Um, Iowa doesn't have any freaking uh, Bank of Americas except for a couple in like Des Moines or something like that. Uh, Nevada, there's been closures of branches in Las Vegas since July. It's ridiculous. People can't even get money out of the ATMs in Nevada because Nevada unemployment is run by Bank of America. New Mexico, you've already heard me tell the story a billion times. We used to have 35 some odd branches over here. And now we have like 12, including two of them that I personally closed down, I guess, just from working there. Um, they've totally almost left the state with the exception of Albuquerque and Santa Fe. Oklahoma, they have branches there, but it's not really an important market to them. And Tennessee, ditto. So you have all these states with that particular rule where you cannot cash a check for someone who doesn't have an equal or greater than amount of money in their account. And these are all working class states. These are people who pick chili and cotton in New Mexico. These are people who are farmers in Iowa, you know, Arkansas. Not farmers, but laborers on a farm. You know, Oklahoma, Tennessee. Th these, are, these are neighborhoods and states where people find jobs whenever they can. Oh, this guy needs help at a ranch for two weeks. It's good pay. It's $10 an hour. Would you like to do it? Sure. 
two weeks is up, you get that two-week paycheck, and then you go to try to cash it, and you can't cash it because you don't have enough money to cash that check. The whole point of getting money is to cash a check. And then you know what you do after that? Once you finally allow that check to clear, you're at the next job. You're at another ranch, or you're, you're in a farm, and you're helping out. And maybe you'll be able to get work there for six weeks, and then you'll get another check in six weeks, and you'll go through the same shit again. This is what happens in New Mexico. This is not a stereotype of New Mexicans. This is the way of life, okay? I've had the perspective as a bank manager to talk to customers in both the personal and business side of things. And I'll tell you, do customers want direct deposit? Yes, for the most part they do. There are some people who just don't like it and they don't trust it. And I can understand that after all these years of being skeptical of Bank of America's practices. But, you know, there's some people that just want direct deposit. But there are a lot of business owners out there, and I mentioned this in a podcast maybe about two months ago. They're old. They don't let anyone else touch their books. They don't have accountants. They write every single check out of some big-ass binder somewhere, and they they are set in their ways. You try to talk to these old-timers about direct deposit and payroll and QuickBooks and all this shit that Bank of America offers. These old people look at you like you're stupid. They're like, what the hell is that? I don't need all that shit. And they've said that to me. I've been told that many, many times over the years by old people. You don't know how many times old people have cussed me out just because I was doing my simple job of cross-selling to them. I don't take any offense by it. Old people have certainly earned the right to say what's on their mind after living such long, productive lives. But these people aren't going to do direct deposits, so they're going to be paying out these people, especially these ones that they hire part-time. And these part-timers are going to go to the bank, their bank, and try to cash a check at their bank. And then the bank is going to say, you're too poor to cash this check, so you're going to have to deposit it. That's bullshit. That makes no sense whatsoever. I'm going to give you a non-example about day laborers and people you know, picking pecans in New Mexico. The Golden Arches McDonald's. I, I'm not talking out of school here in the fact that one of my biggest pet peeves about this town, Las Cruces, New Mexico, population 110,000 people, is we have like 15 McDonald's in this town. We legit have a crap ton of McDonald's for such a small town. It's bizarre. I, I mean, I lived in a town with one and had 10,000 people there, but there's like 20 times the amount with a town that's 10 times the size of my previous town. It makes no sense. The franchisee of that McDonald's in Las Cruces, and I don't know if he has any in other places, does not offer direct deposit. These kids at McDonald's do not have direct deposit. They they don't know that. So my brother started working at McDonald's when he was like 15 or 16. And I was impressed then. I was 20 years old, and I didn't even have a freaking job. And he got a paper check, but this was also like, what, 2002? Well, we're 2020 now. And this McDonald's does not offer direct deposit. Every single kid gets a weekly paycheck. I opened up accounts for countless numbers of McDonald's kids over the years. And I didn't need to ask them the question that Bank of America makes me ask every freaking person. Well, hey there, little Timmy. Uh, Do you happen to have direct deposit at McDonald's? No, little Timmy doesn't have direct deposit at McDonald's because some old franchisee at McDonald's decided he wants to not write out the checks. There's far too many of them. But he wants to hire someone to print out the checks and handle all that stuff by paper. The way that the bank despises it. So all of a sudden, this old-timey owner that a bank couldn't convince to flip to electronic payroll 
is giving little Timmy a paper check, and he's going to go with his mom to Bank of America, where he opened his first account with possibly James and his banker. And then he's going to go to the teller, and he's going to be like, Hi, I need to cash my, my payroll check from McDonald's. Okay, Timmy, sure. Actually, Timmy, your check is for $135, and it looks like you only have $1.80 in your account. So, Timmy, I'm not going to be able to cash this check, but what I can do is deposit this check, and you may have it available tomorrow. You may have it available tomorrow, unless there's a 10-day hold on it, right? And all of a sudden, this little Timmy, this little kid who busted his ass, who is making McMuffins, who is making McRibs whenever McRib season is around, he has a paycheck that he cannot cash, and he cannot use the money that he worked hard for. Money that I did not work hard for when I was a teenager by a long shot. I was lazy as a teenager. So now this bank is treating him like crap at an early age. And all of a sudden his development with banking, his, his trust of banking and just financial institutions in general is at an all-time low. And he's like fucking 15 years old. That's ridiculous. And if that doesn't speak to the fact that Bank of America wants to alienate the, the young customers, the customers that don't have a lot of money... I don't know what else is. This rule is meant to alienate the poor. It is meant to alienate the working class from banking there. The preferred customers that they want and crave, the ones that have twenty-five, fifty, hundred thousand dollars in their account, guess what? They're not gonna go la di da. Yeah, hi, I'd like to cash this two hundred and fifty dollar check. How much do you have? Oh, you have one hundred twenty thousand. Sure, we'll cash that check for you. No, they don't do that because the bank has trained those people to do mobile deposit or deposit at the ATM. And they're not going to go walk in a bank to go get money out. So, you know, the example that Bank of America gives is like a customer is coming to cash a $2,000 check and they have only $500. That's a working class person. That is not a rich person. Rich people don't have huge fluctuations in their balance like that. And they also won't go to just cash a random check. Not to have pocket change in their wallet. They're not going to do that. Because you know what they can do? They can easily deposit it wherever and then just pull out the money at the ATM. Or go into the bank to pull out the money. You know, one doesn't begat the other. It's just a matter of the way that they perceive it. And if you train someone who's wealthy enough to do that, they'll never run into this problem. But these people who don't have money, who rely on this money to pay their bills or to to use. Because that's the whole point of the money, right? Is to use it. You're telling them that they can for at least another day. And if it's a Friday, then you're basically telling them to wait three days at that point in time. And that part is really crap. That part is really shitty. Because all of a sudden, you're already halfway into another pay period before you have access to your money, if even that. And all of a sudden, you just lose hope. That that finish line is now a few miles down the road. Because the bank said, well, we don't, we don't know. We, we can't do that. Um, we're not allowed to do that. Bank of America and I worked there used to go off of an average six-month balance. If someone had a million dollars one day and had zero dollars the next day, well, that person had a $500,000 average balance over two days. You know, you average that out over 90 days, maybe that person still has a good chunk of money. I can't even do the math. It's what, like (laughs) $10,000? If that person had zero the rest of the time, I'm horrible at math, yet I worked at a bank. But... That should kind of make sense that this person, hey, at one time had a million dollars. You don't know their life story, and a computer doesn't know their life story either. So if the computer is going to make a judgment call based on a snapshot of what your balance is at that moment, then they don't really know you at all. They just know you as a number like we've talked about. 
You are just literally a number to them. And I don't mean like an account number. I mean a balance number. It's like, oh, Mr. Johnson, a $900 check. Well, you're number 85.88. You have $85.88. And we can't help you with that, unfortunately, sir. Part's ridiculous. Um, they have some associate action here on like how to explain to your customers what's going on with this new rule change. And Jesus, I gotta tell you, it's the fucking most ridiculous thing in the world. And I and you're gonna I'm gonna break out my my banker voice in a second here, but a couple of bullet points and it says help clients understand the benefits of digital banking options so they can receive same day access to funds such as setting up direct deposit or using Zelle to request and receive payments from friends and family. The average person does not write a check to a friend or family member anymore. Maybe like a grandma somewhere will write a check to their grandkid. But people don't write checks personally like that anymore at all. They never did even when I started 15 years ago at the bank. So whenever you say, hey, you know, hey, old chap, can you send me money through Zelle? They're talking about a different scenario here. The people about the check cashing are nothing to do with the people who are going to use Zelle. The check cashing people are payroll people. People just don't randomly walk around with checks. People just don't randomly just, oh man, we get so many checks in the mail, what's going on? No, they get a payroll check. And Bank of America and the associate action part is talking Zelle. Zelle is not payroll. And I'm sure there's some banker out there somewhere who's going to try to tie Zelle to payroll and it's not the case. Basically, they're telling you, you should think about setting up Zelle as a totally like non-sequitur. It has nothing to do with what I just mentioned about 5-10 minutes ago. They're telling you if a friend writes you a check, you should inform him to use Zelle. Well, that's not probably what we're talking about with the not on this check hashing. You know, help clients understand the benefits of setting up direct deposit. You can't set up fucking direct deposit if your employer doesn't have it, okay? If I work at McDonald's and I say, hey, I'm going to set up direct deposit. Well, we don't have it. What am I to do then? Do you want me to quit my job just to make your life easier, Bank of America? I don't understand how it's patronizing. And I used to have to say this to people too. Well, you know, if you had direct deposit, we can waive the monthly fee of $12 a month. They know that. They know that, and they're stuck. They're at a job that doesn't allow them, and you're punishing them, and you're reiterating the punishment whenever you say, hey, you know, funny enough, you wouldn't have this problem if you didn't have direct deposit. Well, tell that to my boss. Tell that to my boss. If you can convince him, then life is good. Life is good. Life is great. But my boss doesn't want to do that, so now you're punishing me. Because of a decision that my boss made, I now have to wait at least one day and possibly up to 10 days for my money. That part is its ridiculous. And the fact that they say help clients understand the benefits. Yeah, it's the benefits of something that has nothing to do with what their problem is. You know, it's literally saying, you know... Man, I hate paying rent. Rent's so expensive. $1,000 a month is ridiculous or whatever. And then Bank of America goes, Well, hey, you know, with a Bank of America credit card, you can buy furniture for your rental. I, it, like, it, it has nothing to do with one another. It's kind of the same idea, but it has nothing to do with that person's complaint about rent. So how are you helping them? How are you giving them benefits to something that is relevant to what they're talking about? You're not. You're wasting their freaking time with shit like that. And the fact that they tell their associates to do that, I, I swear to you, and I, and, I, and I mean this sincerely, and not because I'm a, I'm a man and I'm full of testosterone right now because I lifted a bunch of weights. 
I almost feel like these talking points that Bank of America gives their associates are almost meant to get their freaking associates punched in the face. I'm serious about that. I used to read some of the stuff that we used to get whenever they say, hey, you need to talk about this to your customers. I'm like, you, you, you really want me to say that to them, to their face, and, and you, you expect them to not want to like shoot me? <laughs> like, I'm serious. I laugh, but I'm not kidding. Like, you're literally not listening to them when they say, I can't cash my check, I can't pay my bills. Well, you know, if you if you use Zelle with your friends and family, you can get your money the same day. How does that help with your paycheck? It does not. It has nothing to do with it. Second bullet point is, man, this one is something else. If clients ask why these changes have occurred, inform them, and, and I quote, here's the bank voice. So it says, if asked why these changes have occurred, inform them. <clears throat> this change allows us to help you avoid potential fraud and fees when checks are returned unpaid. We're making this change to streamline and simplify funds availability for all of our clients. Why do you talk like a fucking nerd to these people? And and like I said, punched in the face. Seriously, okay. So I'm going to get to the, the, the first part first here because it's the most ridiculous shit in the world. And you know what? People deserve to get punched at this point in time. So if you have a paycheck and it's literally from... Uh, I'm just going to pick a non-McDonald's one. I've used McDonald's too many times as an example here. Let's just say one of the pecan places here in, in Las Cruces. A place with a couple of hundred employees. A place with... It's a known entity... We all buy their product, you know, we, we all want their product. But we all know their employees because there's so many of them. So let's just say five of these people walk into Bank of America with their Wells Fargo branded pecan checks. All five of them are literally in a row. They, they carpooled to the pecan place. And then you, you know, first one goes in line, yeah, I'd like to cash my check. Okay, oh, here's $240. Thank you, have a good day. Next one, yeah, I need a cash my check. Oh, $239. There you go. Have a good day. Then that third person in line, who's literally standing in line with his or her co-workers, who has the same check, the same check from the become place. But maybe that person is a little bit more irresponsible with their money, and they didn't have an equal amount of money in their checking account. They have $14 in there because they had to buy stuff for their kid. They had to put gas in their car. So they're out of money, but they needed to cash this check because they have other stuff that they have to buy. And then you go, you know, you go through the motions, try to cash check. Well, Mr. Chavez, um, I'm not going to be able to cash this check today. Well, why not? Well, you see, it's giving me a message saying that I'm unable to negotiate it because of the balance in your account. The check is more than the balance of your account. Well, this is bullshit. You know I'm good for it. This check is good. They're, they're not going to, you know, it's not going to go bad. It's not going to bounce. You know these people. You saw my coworkers just cash the same check right there. Yeah, I understand. Um, you know, let me speak to the manager. And then the teller calls the manager. You know, and don't blame the teller for this. The teller just only reads what's on the screen. Then the manager comes over. And they have to talk one of these talking points to that, to that um, employee, that customer. Why the hell doesn't this girl want me to cash my check? They, let, they cash the other people's checks over there, and it's the same exact check. Well, we got a message that you didn't have enough money in your account. Well, what does that matter? What if they didn't have enough money? How come you didn't let them cash their check? Or how come you let them cash their check? Well, when did this rule change? This is ridiculous. And then this is when the, the patronizing shit happens. Well, you know, Mr. Chavez, we made this change to help you avoid potential fraud. 
help you avoid potential front and what the check you mean the check that you just cashed for the other two co-workers of mine that we all carpooled in the same car we all got the same check at the same exact time you're telling me you're making an example out of me to avoid potential fraud by not letting me cash my check simply because my balance is low well if this check happens to be fraud and bounces you kind of know where to find me right patriot access you know my address and phone number so why couldn't you take me to collections or whatever? So why do they have to use fraud as an example? It's honestly, it's like people who use COVID as an example. It's like whenever, you know, um, you know, 9-11 unfortunately happened. Everything was about protecting the country, terrorism and all that stuff. It's a great excuse and it's an important excuse, but you can't use it for everything, okay? There is fraud in banks. There is fraud in checks. I have caught so much fraud over the years. It's ridiculous. But that's why you train tellers and that's why you train managers. You train the manager to say, hey, you know what? I know this pecan check because I've seen it a billion times and I've seen you a billion times too. Yeah, we'll go ahead and cash that check. Don't worry about it. That's what you need to do if you're a manager. What's the point of having a manager there if they can't make you know judgment calls like that? Oh, wait, Bank of America doesn't want employees in their branches anymore. So they're going to make it a point to where this cannot be reversed and you have to do it a certain way or go take your business elsewhere. They are, they are usurping all the power that managers have and they're making it difficult for customers to navigate through this new digital world of banking. I am not an enemy of digital banking. I think it's a great thing. I think it's an important thing. But you got to understand that there are millions of people out there that get paper checks and there's no other way for them to get paid electronically. And you're literally telling them that that check that they may have is fraud. You're scaring them for no reason because of your own selfish bank tactics. And that part is ridiculous, guys. The only reason I share this and the only reason that I mentioned it in today's podcast is because it is rolled out in New Mexico. And I know my customers in this town. I, I've talked to thousands of them over the years and I may not know everyone's life story to a T, but I do know a lot of businesses, and I do know a lot of businesses don't do direct deposit, and that is directly a target at them. Arizona, not Arizona, excuse me, Arkansas, Iowa, Nevada, Oklahoma, Tennessee, I don't really know too well. I never work there. But you better believe that that's shots fired on them too, that those people aren't going to be allowed to cash their own paychecks. And the bank will have the balls, they will have the guts to say that your paycheck might be fraud and we're protecting you from yourself. Oh yeah, and you didn't have enough money to cover it as well. Just say you don't have enough money to cover it. Don't make it about fraud. And my thing is, you want people to grow their money. Bank of America talks about it all the time. They say, hey, you should grow your money with us. You should think about long term. You should think about buying a house. You should think about your kid's college and all that stuff. Well, think about at that moment, that Friday, when that person gets that paycheck. And you tell them not only can you not cash the check, that they're not actually going to be able to walk out with any amount of money, even if you deposit into their bank, a bank which earns interest off that person's money. Yeah, it's not a lot of interest, but they earn interest on it. You're taking their money and you're telling them they can't have it after working a full week waiting for that piece of paper. And then you told them that their business is no good because they made a decision or they couldn't make the decision to save up long term for their family. That they couldn't make a decision on you know, a savings account at one point in time. You're punishing them. And what you're doing with punishing them is you're trying to get rid of them. 
As I've mentioned with the Notorious Banker podcast, I fight back against big banks for one reason and one reason only. I fight back against crap like this because this is not to protect the bank. This is not to protect the customer. This is a way of pushing a customer out, the ones that clog up your lines whenever you're trying to just cash a simple check. Watch the YouTube video where the the construction company, there's 13 of them or something like that, all went to go cash their check at a Los Angeles Bank of America. 12 of them went through. The 13th person, an African-American individual, was denied cashing his check, saying they needed to verify his check. Now, that might be blatant racism for one, and I, I have spoken as such that I do believe that, yes, in fact, it was racism. But the simple fact that they told him they needed to verify that check basically told me in my brain, because I used to be the one doing that at Bank of America, that they were just trying to find a way to not cash that check for that person because they needed to save money because they were running low on money or they didn't want to cash too many non-customer checks because they were going to get yelled at by their boss for not flipping those into new accounts. I know what their little scheme is and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it and Bank of America, you're on call here. You need to be better. I know it's probably too late to change this rule, but know for a fact that I know damn well that this is pointed towards the working class, the day laborers, the people who work from job to job, who work to make your life easier, and you're telling them you're making their life harder just because they have the simple crime of not having as much money as you? Screw you. Screw you and the horse you rode in on. And you know what? That hard worker probably cleaned up after that horse. My name is James, the Notorious Banker. I've just told you why your bank sucks. All right, and welcome back to the podcast. So, you know, we've talked over and over again about Bank of America's billion-dollar, quote, commitment to um, end racial and economic inequality. And, you know, I, I'm tired of talking about it, to be quite honest with you. But it's important to talk about whenever there are updates for this, because here's the thing. I stated on my 100th episode that I really believe that it was a bunch of junk. That I really believe that the $1 billion that they committed was not going to be something that actually helped the average African American, the average Hispanic person. I just didn't believe that. Bank of America doesn't think that way. And when you work there, you'll understand that they don't think that way. They want to portray that they think that way, but it's, it, it just doesn't work that way. I'm a Hispanic man. I worked in a very Hispanic area for Bank of America. My hub, my regional hub for my branch was in El Paso, Texas, which is even more Hispanic than the place I'm at. So seeing the way that they interact with customers here, the sales goals, the sales pitches, the staffing and everything, I was just really skeptical. And of course, the fact that I talked about... um, you know, Bank of America never mentioned George Floyd or Breonna Taylor's name in any of their statements. And then when Juneteenth came around, they just kind of had this vague thing. They changed their logo to a black and white Bank of America logo. It just seemed like they were just trying to hit the right notes. Now, um, you know, here's the thing. A personal story. I, I had a lot of friends when I worked at Bank of America. And I mean, I still would consider them friends, but I don't talk to them that often because I don't work at the bank anymore. But there's this one particular um, former co-worker of mine. Well, she wasn't necessarily a co-worker of mine, but she did work for Bank of America as well. And she was uh, a really good friend, and she was the friend of my best friend. And, you know, great woman, great personality, great looking. You know, she was a total package. But there was one thing that I couldn't stand about her. And it just seemed like she talked in 
what in pro wrestling they call cheap pops. Like, everything was geared towards getting a positive reaction from a certain group of people. Like, you know, she's really Republican, so she talked about support our cops. And then whenever, you know, because her dad was a Marine, support our troops. And then whenever she would talk about her kid, it was like, my daughter made something out of macaroni for me. She's the greatest, and being a mother is so rewarding. And then she got a government job after Bank of America, and everything was like, I'm so proud to work for this nation. And, like, everything sounded like something a rock band would say whenever they're in someone's hometown. Yeah, we're really happy to be here in Phoenix. And then the crowd goes wild. And then the next day they're in Dallas. We're so happy to be here in Dallas. Ah, these Phoenix people didn't know what the hell you were talking about. Ah, you know. And that's the way people are. And Bank of America is like that. I used to think, and I used to tell my best friend, I was like, I really think that she got, like, this Bank of America disease in her head. And she just talks in these weird positive things all the time. Because she is a great person, but she's not a positive person. So she just always would want to talk about the thing that's going to rile up a group of people. Whether it's the mommies, whether it's the soldiers, whether it's the cops, whether it's, you know, the bankers or whatever. And it was just bizarre. And Bank of America is like that to the T. So, of course, when the George Floyd incident happened... Um, Memorial Day weekend, literally eight days later, Bank of America said, yep, billion dollars. We're giving one billion dollars because we just decided to give one billion dollars. And I did a two-hour podcast about how it was really vague. And then, of course, the subsequent podcast about they're giving masks, you know, um, to inner cities. And then they're calling this part of their commitment. I was like, well, okay, well, how's about some housing? <laughs> how's about lending some money? How about um, actually keeping branches open in these neighborhoods, keeping ATMs open 24 hours a day, for God's sakes? And it just really bugged me because they're riding this all summer and into the fall, and I know for sure, and I laid it down on a podcast a couple of weeks ago that they're going to rehire some of their own workers and all of a sudden, it's going to be like, we hired minority workers to work in our branches. And I'm like, they already fucking work there. They work there, then they work from home, and then they're going to go back. And then they're going to put a press release out saying, hey, we hired a bunch of minority workers. They were already employed there. It's going to happen. I guarantee you it's going to happen, and I, I'm going to the media the second that it happens, okay? So, um... You know, they should find it out themselves. Me, James, some guy in Las Cruces, New Mexico, shouldn't have to be the one that says this um, out loud. There are thousands of reporters. There are thousands of skeptics out there with a higher position than me. They could say, hey, you know what? I really think Bank of America is full of shit. Well, there's um, a story in the Washington Post from Lana Wynn. She is a follower of yours truly, the notorious banker on Twitter at BankBetterGuy. So thank you very much for that. And it says, B of A backs black-owned banks, well, that's that's hard, in $300 million equality drive. And, you know, giving this money is, is cool. I'm happy for them that they want to give money. But here's going to be the bone that I'm picking. And I am going to, it's a short article, so I'm not going to spend 30 minutes on it because I want you to get to other podcasts. And frankly, I want you to subscribe to patreon.com slash banker. But it says Bank of America Corporation invested $50 million in three black-owned banks as part of its $1 billion pledge over four years to advance racial equality. The second largest U.S. lender took equity stakes of about 5% in three minority depository institutions. 
First Independence Corp. in Detroit, New Orleans-based Liberty Financial Services, Inc., and SCCB Financial Corp. in Columbia, South Carolina, it said in a statement. Bank of America also is in talks with other lenders owned by African Americans and Hispanics and serving low and moderate income communities that are expected to be completed within a year. The deals were announced as part of a $300 million allocation that also includes job programs, community outreach, and direct equity investments in black and Hispanic-owned businesses. I need to talk about that before this segment is up, the direct equity investments in businesses. I, I just don't understand it, and it makes no sense for Bank of America. Um, anyway, um, Ann Finucane, um, one of our friends in the podcast, said, and um, I'm going to read this in my generic banker voice here, <clears throat> The idea is to create more jobs, more lending to businesses that will flourish in the longer term and to create wealth for minorities and people of color, <laughs> Bank of America Vice Chairman and Finney Keen said in an interview. And okay, so we're going to get to the bank part really quick. They invested $50 million in three black-owned banks, taking about a 5% equity stake in those banks. I think that's cool. I mean, if they want to, you know, disperse their money that way, investing in other banks... To support the little guy, I mean, subsidizing, it's revenue sharing, if you will. They do that in baseball. You know, the New York Yankees pay for what Milwaukee is spending because New York makes a lot more money than Milwaukee. You know, it's something that I'm familiar with and I understand and I respect somewhat. But just riddle me this, okay? So, um, first Independence Corp in Detroit. Michigan has lost a ton of Bank of Americas. I mean a ton. Dozens. I have a trucker friend who lives in Michigan. He used to live in New Mexico, and he lived in Utah before. He knows everything about banks because I taught him. He's 30 years old now, and I've known him since he was 17. He tells me that Bank of America's in Michigan are literally like needle and haystack now. They're no longer as prevalent as they once were. New Orleans-based Liberty Financial Services, Inc. What do you know about New Orleans? Okay, Predominantly African-American, of course. Here's a bank nerd thing. There are Not only is there no Bank of Americas in the New Orleans area or Louisiana in general, there's not even Bank of America ATMs in the whole state. Really, really interesting considering that Bank of America is investing $50 million in this particular bank. And then SCCB Financial Corp in Columbia, South Carolina. South Carolina is one of those states in the last couple of months that have seen closures of almost all of their branches because of the, quote, virus, when in reality they had low foot traffic and low sales, so they just didn't want to remain open. And South Carolina is one of those states that has had Bank of America for a long time, but frankly, with the, the people that I helped with PPP loans in the summertime, it was just really... It was inevitable that they're going to be treated bad, and I've seen instances where people from South Carolina have been treated bad by Bank of America. Whether or not they're owned by African Americans or Hispanics, or whatever, that's beside the point. But here's the thing: here, if you're just if you're talking about helping people and not helping banks, because it's one thing to give fifty million dollars to a bank, uh, fifty million dollars to a company that already has fucking money, that already has customers, that already has fucking deposits. And that's already lending for the most part, maybe in a way smaller scale before Bank of America came in with their money. But doesn't it strike you as kind of odd that the three banks they invested in are based in hubs that not only has Bank of America never really cared about in, in the sense that they closed down branches in Michigan and Columbia, South Carolina is fl you know fledgling at best. 
but the fact that they invested in a New Orleans bank whenever there has not been uh, Bank of America in New Orleans ever, and there's really no groundswell to be there for them anyway, I just find it odd. I was talking to an African-American friend of mine um, this afternoon because I, I had talked to the person who, you know, who kind of feeds me this information. I found this out on Twitter as well, but... I was talking to an African-American friend of mine, and I said, isn't it almost like they're giving money to these banks? That way you can stay there. That way you don't bother them. And my friend, to a T, said, yes, I, I believe that too. You know, he was saying, why are they giving money to these banks? Why can't I just go straight to Bank of America and give me this money? Why does it have to be kind of a pass-through that I go to one of these three banks who may not know who I am, who is not in a location that I'm at because my friend doesn't live in any of those three places. And now I live in a place where Bank of America is. And if I go to get a loan, are they going to say, oh, yeah, we gave $150 million to these banks you never heard of. And and how is that going to help that person? And that's the thing to me. I knew that the billion dollars was going to be just some bundled up weird thing. Or it's just going to be a bunch of little things that don't make any sense. Now, don't get me wrong. Giving people masks to fight against COVID-19 is pretty important. And I'm really thankful that they do that. They, you know, I donate plasma and they give people masks at the plasma place because they're like, hey, why are we going to kick this person now for not having a mask? Man, we just give them a mask. They can donate plasma. They can make their money. And we can make their money reselling the plasma. They give the donor like $30 and then they resell the plasma for like 150 Win-win. So why wouldn't you give that mask? So, of course, it's on Bank of America to do something noble like that. And then, of course, they're talking about advanced coronavirus testing in you know, Washington, D.C. and Hispanic neighborhoods in L.A. and stuff like that. That's fine, but you're not ending racial inequality. You're just helping people out. You know what I mean? There's, there's still going to be racism. There's still going to be issues with black people in banking because you're not developing a relationship bank of america with these african-american and hispanic people these banks are and the fact that you got an equity stake just by giving these banks some money does not make you part of the solution it makes you kind of a silent a silent partner if you will with these banks who i hope and pray that they thrive and succeed and kick ass and get as many customers and and make more and more money and become your direct competitor but let's face facts here if my friend wanted to take out a loan with Bank of America and you forwarded him to one of these three banks that's nowhere near where he's at, guess what? That does not help him. That does not help people in his town. That does not help people in his state because they're nowhere near those three states. So buying a company is not helping other people. Do you know what I mean? It's it's like saying, hey, you know, we, you know, we, you know, Walmart doesn't franchise out, but it's like saying we own a Walmart in South Central LA. Well, unless the money stays in the community, it's not. It does nothing because the people in South Central LA are going to be spending money at that Walmart and it's going to be feeding the freaking stockholders and the Walton family and shit until the end of time. So investing in these banks means what, Bank of America? It means that you saw banks that had black people in it. And you wanted to give them money to say, hey, look, we're helping. 
but it's not helping when we don't know where that money is going. How do you know that those banks aren't going to give to only big snooty businesses the way that you do, Bank of America? How do I know that there's not strings attached to the money that you gave to these banks saying, hey, you know, you can't lend to any business under $500,000 in revenue. I don't know any of that shit. You just tell me that you're giving this money as part of an equity stake. How does I? How do I know that that's not going to mean you're going to force a takeover of this bank 10 years from now, gobble these places up, take what's not yours, spit out the rest, and all of a sudden these banks don't exist anymore? I don't know that. And I frankly don't want to know that. I can go on and on about that. And there's more to come. They even say in the statement that there's more to come with this. So stay tuned on that. Um, they mentioned the $25 million grants, which have already been completed for jobs initiatives at 11 community colleges that serve predominantly black and Latino students and 10 publicly historic black colleges and universities and Hispanic serving institutions. Now, look, I'm all about setting up people with job skills. I didn't have very many job skills after I got a college degree, but what exactly are these job skills that they're doing and does it serve the interest of bank of america is my thing is this money strategically planted to kind of funnel people into a certain field that bank of america needs employees for not necessarily that work for bank of america or will work for bank of america but what exactly are these job training initiatives i'm just curious about that and i'm just saying you know more power to them Community outreach totaling $25 million, including providing 5 million masks to communities in need in the past 60 days. I saw another number where they talked about 5 million masks, and it came out to like $2.50 a mask or something, according to the numbers that they put out there. Those fucking paper masks are not worth $2.50 each. There's no way. There's no way that they're worth that much money because... Uh, I saw the Amazon reviews. I've shared the Amazon reviews. People say that they're poorly made. They smell like bathroom cleaner and stuff like that. I mean, giving people masks is a kindness to your heart thing, not a, hey, we're saving um, African Americans from death. You know, no, you're being a kind-hearted bank, I guess, at that point in time. So it shouldn't count towards the billion. I'm just saying it really shouldn't because there are other places that are giving masks and they're not saying, hey, look, look what we're doing. Look where we're giving these masks to. Come on, come on. And then the final one really quick, direct equity investments totaling $200 million in black and Hispanic owned businesses over four years. I don't know what this means and I really hope that they give more insight as to what this is. To me, direct equity investment sounds like Shark Tank. It sounds like Mark Cuban. It sounds like uh, Mr. Wonderful, I forget his name, uh, Barbara Corcoran. Uh, you know, all these people that say, hey, I'll give you $10,000 for 20% of your company. Is banks directly investing and taking a portion of one business's profits really helping them? Because at the end of the day, is Bank of America going to hype up that business the way that the Sharks would supposedly do in Shark Tank? I don't know. I don't think so. So if they literally said that, hey, we're going to invest 20% in Johnson's Soul Food Restaurant, you know, 20% equity stake for $200,000 or whatever, and he takes that money and he becomes a great restaurateur, he franchises that out, he has to pay... 20% to Bank of America, it it seems kind of hokey. I don't know. That's why I need to know more about this before I can shit all over it. 
direct investments is one thing. Lending is another thing. And don't get me wrong. I criticize them for um, saying that lending was going to be a big part of this billion dollar initiative. And it still probably is. Um, because they're going to make money back anyway on lending with the interest rates and you know the monthly payments and all that. The advertising is saying that they're going to make money, not lose money by giving this quote money away in form of a loan. But direct equity investments is another thing. If they're going to become a silent partner for a business, is in fact Bank of America going to help push that business to succeed? And and how are they going to funnel it to where they can write this off on their taxes? You know what I mean? Like I don't understand all these things. So if they're investing 20% in a soul food restaurant and then that just blows up and makes tens of millions of dollars, is Bank of America going to take credit for that? I don't think so. Money does help you know, boost the business whenever they need capital for certain things. They need to renovate. They need to do this or do that. But direct equity investments, really skeptical about that. And who qualifies and for what? It just seems to me, and God help me if I'm wrong, you know, I mean, um, I think I'm right, though. I really think that this direct equity investments totaling $200 million is going to be some fucking crazy thing where they're going to invest like $100 million in one business. Some rich asshole who's um, black or Hispanic, and they're going to say, hey, look, we invested in minorities. We gave $100 million to the so-and-so oil company. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what it's going to be, but... It just seems like whenever they say we're giving $200 million away, I don't see some, quote, micro-loans of 20, G, you know, 20 Gs going to thousands upon thousands of business owners. I don't see that. That makes too much sense to give people this, this capital. No, it's going to be a huge chunk, and it's just going to be, hey, this person just happens to be African-American, and, of course, we have a billion-dollar commitment to help end racial inequality by giving $100 million to a company that probably didn't need $100 million. I just think it's going to be something like that. The mask thing, I can talk until I'm blue in the face, no pun intended. Um, but $300 million of the $1 billion is allocated, literally, for direct equity investments in black and Hispanic-owned businesses, which I don't understand what it means, especially if they're basically becoming a silent partner for businesses. And then the second part is investing in three black-owned banks, as awesome as that sounds, as awesome as it seems to be that they're infusing capital into these places, you got to keep one thing in mind. They're in locations that Bank of America's not, and it just seems that that's their indirect way of throwing money at a problem that they have. And that problem is, hey, we don't want to be in New Orleans. We don't want to be in Michigan. And we seem like we don't want to be in South Carolina. So I'm going to throw money at these banks. And yeah, you know, we're Bank of America, you know, backed. So um, bring your loans over here. We'd be happy to help you at Liberty Financial Services, Inc. Or First Independence Corp. That's what I think is going to happen. I really think that they're paying this money that way they don't have to be in that area. That way they don't have to deal with that. That way they can kind of retract from South Carolina, retract from Michigan, and never show up in New Orleans. I just really feel that way. And if they get to have the whole fake check ceremony, a big smiley handshake saying, hey, look, we're investing in our community, and Bank of America's fucking logo is in these three banks, then they've won. A billion-dollar pledge is a lot of money, okay? It's it's multiple times more than I'll ever see in a lifetime. But it's not a lot of money for Bank of America. One billion dollars can be... You know, one eighth of their quarterly profit. 
So I want them to do better with the rest of this money because there's about $500 million already kind of accounted for the things that they want to do. And they include that $25 million to the Smithsonian Channel, for God's sakes. That means absolutely nothing to nobody. No, you know what? Help some people out. Build some low-income housing. Build a housing project. I don't, I don't know, but do something that means something to a lot of people. You know, I, I had an African-American boss for almost a decade. I know a lot of African-American people um, in this community that I'm in because I had an African-American boss. So if I tell them that my former bank is doing something noble and they're lending $50 million, or they're giving $50 million, investing, if you will, $50 million in black-owned banks and banks that are hundreds of miles away, what is that going to do to them and why do they care? I have no idea why and I have no idea why they should care. So my thing is, you know what, I'm going to be sticking around for additional news about this because I know it's going to get more and more ridiculous as the days, weeks, and months go on. I want Bank of America to commit to helping people a lot better, but I don't want it to be this where they're giving to big companies and hope that those big companies help those people in need. After this brief promotion consideration, I'm going to be right back with just a news and note about a Wells Fargo account that changed its names and kind of lost its soul as well, so please stick around. All right, and I'm back. So Wells Fargo came out with something called the Clear <laughs> the Clear Access account, and I'm like, what the hell is this? It says it's a consumer-friendly account, and I'm like, okay, like, the Clear Access Banking that boasts low costs and limited fees. Motley Fool posted a news story about it. Eric Volkman authored this one. And it says, Wells Fargo is making a play for the cost-conscious banking consumer. Okay, The bank announced that it has rolled out a new type of account, Clear Access Banking, that boasts low costs and limited fees. Clear Access Banking is a checking account that carries no account minimum and occurs no overdraft or insufficient funds fees. It does have a monthly charge, $5, but this is waived for account holders ages 13 to 24. God, if you're opening a checking account for a 13-year-old... um. Yeah, I'm just saying, even with the parent, that's kind of sketchy. And the more I think about how many accounts I've opened up for teenagers over the years, the more I kind of regret it. It comes with a contactless debit card, oh ho, which the bank says can be used in over 13,000 ATMs around the U.S. Notice how it doesn't say go into the bank. Account holders can access clear access banking by digital means and over the phone. Notice how it does, they don't say, hey, go in the bank. The new account type is a broader effort aimed at simplifying and streamlining Wells Fargo's selections of basic products. More specifically, it is designed for consumers seeking an account to help manage their spending or who are new to banking, such as young adults. It'll also be seen as an effort for the bank to keep pace with rivals that have introduced similar, quote, skinny account types recently. Um, the Clear Access Banking is a total ripoff of the safe balance banking at bank of america and it's five cents more oh my god it's more expensive than bank of america but here's the thing about that no overdraft fees but a five dollar monthly service fee so if you're over 24 you're getting charged five dollars a month i used to sell this account at bank of america this way Mr. Customer, how would you like to just pay a flat fee, in this case $5 a month, in order to ensure, to guarantee that we will never charge you anything else? And I used to use the frame of reference of insurance and blackjack. How would you like to put a chip down 
That way, if I'm showing a 21, you don't lose all of your bet. You're kind of ensuring that you're trying to keep some of your bet. If I don't show a 21, well, you do lose that chip, but you still have an opportunity to win. That's the way that I thought this bank account was. I just felt that it was a way of saying, give a little now and save a lot later. And it was easy to sell that account because people would be hesitant to want to open a bank account because of overdraft fees. But here's the thing, Wells Fargo Bank Bank, how about merging overdraft fees? Yeah, I know it's kind of cliche to say, hey, I wish banks didn't charge fees. Like, I have this conversation all the time. It's stupid. Two years of being the notorious banker. It's a stupid conversation. It says, oh, all banks have ridiculous fees. Oh, what a hot take that you got there, Buster. But it's more to it than that. I am a big believer of value. If you are paying a fee for something, you should get something of value for that. And it doesn't really offer much. You're paying a fee so you don't pay more fees. And that safe balance account, I knew up and down. I got fired because I got uh, a customer got charged a safe balance monthly account fee. And they somehow said that I incorrectly opened the account, causing some error that caused that fee. And they let me go. While it was bullshit, <laughs> I could tell you that I am familiar with an account like that. Safe balance account is literally no different than this clear access banking. And um, there was a story in American Banker um, magazine, author Kevin Wack, um, a new follower of mine at Bank Better Guy. Thank you so very much for that. And, you know, he says, Wells Fargo's launched a new checking account that has no minimum balance requirements and charges no overdraft fees. Fulfilling a promise by CEO Charlie Sharp to establish a consumer-friendly account similar to those offered by rival banks. Now, consumer-friendly accounts don't necessarily mean less fees. You're still charging them. That's not consumer-friendly. Consumer-friendly is zero. Consumer-unfriendly is charging them anything for something they can get free elsewhere. It says, Wells said Tuesday that the account is designed for consumers who are seeking help managing their spending or who are new to banking. And then it says, um, Wells Fargo's Deposit Products Group for Consumers and Small Businesses says he expects the new account to attract customers across multiple age groups. Sharf announced plans for a no-overdraft fee account in March, though the company initially said it would be available in 2021. It started offering this account last week. This account has been certified for meeting standards developed by the Cities for Financial Empowerment Fund that aim to improve the welfare of consumers who lack strong ties to the mainstream financial system. In aggregate, banks with at least $1 billion in assets collected $11 billion in revenue from overdraft fees and NSF fees in 2019. Jesus Christ. That figure was up from $11.18 billion in 2015. Now, seeing that just makes me sick to my stomach. So, they say $11 billion in overdraft and non-sufficient funds fees. Okay, yeah, that's fine. All fine and dandy. But, you know, how they say, like, with, like, data, like, whenever they talk about, like, data caps with the internet, you know, I have Xfinity now, and they give you a cap. You can't use this much data. But then they'll tell you that 90, you know, 5% of the people with Xfinity use 95% of the data, and that causes these caps because they're playing games and they're downloading 4K movies and torrents and all this bullshit. People, the $11 billion in revenue from overdraft and NSFEs, are literally, you know, not as many people as you think. There are a lot of people that spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on there. It's not a like, oh, the average person spends $14 a month to bank. No, fuck that. The average person who gets hit with overdraft fees spends hundreds of dollars a month or hundreds of dollars a year 
in overdraft fees. The average American doesn't spend anything on that because they usually don't have a reason to overdraft. But the ones who do have that issue, they're the ones that make up the bulk of the $11 billion. Now, how charging them is a better thing, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't like bank accounts that just charge a fee in lieu of great service. And, you know, great service can be having conversations about, and this sounds horrible, but is this bank right for you? Is this account right for you? And it really needs to be a real conversation because Wells Fargo says that they don't have sales goals, and I don't believe that for one second. They they have goals for everything. You know, they literally have goals for how many customers go in the bank. They have goals for how many outbound calls. Yeah, we, there's goals still. Don't, you know... Don't take that baloney and run with it because it's not true. But Sharf introduced this no overdraft fee account, and it was kind of like a starter's account for people who don't want to get charged fees. But there was an account called the Opportunity Checking Account that was going away um, to make room for this Clear Access account. And it's basically the same account except it charged twice as much. And um, the statement for the Wells Fargo Opportunity Checking is saying it can help you get back on track by managing an account that allows you to pay your bills and use a debit card, but you won't be able to open it unless your account for a standard Wells Fargo checking account is denied. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if this Clear Access account is for those same type of people who have issues with banking because this Opportunity Checking account, if it doesn't go away, then is this still going to be there? And if that's the case... Those people who are struggling and in need will have to pay twice as much per month, $10 a month to have this account. Or if it is, you know, in fact going away and they have to have the clear access account, is that one going to be for someone whose standard application is denied? Or is this clear access checking just a way of freezing out those people in need? Now, there are people in need who can't open up a normal account. This opportunity checking from Wells Fargo, I called it an account on tr with training wheels. Because it was an account that they gave you a chance. They say, hey, we're not going to let you fall. We're going to do as good as we can to make you you know, stay on the straight and narrow. They still charge overdraft fees for that. But it was saying, hey, you know what? We're going to charge you all these fees, including $10 a month for this account. Because no one else is going to give you that chance. Well, if clear access is the, hey, it's for everyone who wants this account but they'll have to pay a flat fee if they're over 24 or whatever, then how, how is that any better? How is literally that any better? Because if it's for the people who need help not overdrafting, those tend to be the ones who can't open the account in the first place. I'd really like to see what the numbers are for the clear access checking account from Wells Fargo because it really seems like they created a new account to quietly get rid of the account that actually meant something to people. A second chance account is what it was advertised as on finder.com as I'm reading it right here. And um, people need that opportunity, no pun intended. They need that chance saying that we're not going to charge you fees but charge you a $5 flat fee per month. Uh, to make sure we don't charge overdraft fees is kind of short-sighted. It really is. It just doesn't make any sense because you're still charging those people. $5 can go a long way. Let me tell you about my couponing, man. $5 can buy a lot of groceries if you play your coupons and you play your cards right. So don't just say it's just $5 and it's not consumer-friendly. Consumer-friendly is finding a way to make sure that shit doesn't happen. It just seems like the clear, honestly, to be frank, from Kevin's and Eric's articles, 
they boast about it having low cost and limited fees while most banks boast no cost you know and then no account minimum but it does have a monthly charge for balances typically waive fees why would you put someone in this account unless you were just looking for an account to throw them in to say hey we got an account and kind of placating them with a minimum $5 a month charge and hope that they don't cancel out soon enough so this doesn't reverse on your sales goals. That's what I think it is. And I think having an account with no overdraft and insufficient funds fees and just allowing the card to decline is kind of a bad example to set for younger people. I know it sounds crazy and I sound like a total banker when I say this, but they need to learn how to manage their money. Blocking a debit card from charging you an overdraft fee for not having enough money is not helping people bank better. That's helping them bank stupidly and going, oh, I guess I can't afford this, instead of understanding why they can't afford it. I didn't want to get off into a 30-minute rant about this account. I will link to it in the show notes. But Wells Fargo launching this checking account uh, with a $5 monthly maintenance fee is it sounds good on paper but in reality i really think it's impacting the people who really really needed help with their banking and i don't think that they're going to have access to this clear access account because the opportunity checking last i checked was going away and if it's going away then there's not going to be a second chance account for those people who sorely need it and wells fargo rolled out an account to kind of just keep people there until they grow up and have enough money to have a real account if you know what i mean and guys, like I always say, that's just another reason why your bank sucks. My name is James, the Notorious Banker, and thank you so very much for listening to this podcast. I will be back with another podcast in a few days about my amazing rescue of $2,700 for Kevin in California, how we got to it. And I'm going to tell you a story about why it's bittersweet because I have someone across the country who had the same exact thing happen to him. And Bank of America denied him his claim. And he's out that money. Kevin got his. Jose is out his. I'm going to tell you the thing that's really bumming me out. In a special podcast dedicated to the rescue of Kevin's money. So look look for that in a few days. In the meantime, subscribe to my podcast. Leave a five-star review. JamesAndNotoriousBanker.com If you have any questions, comments, or you want to submit anything to be on a future podcast, my voicemail line, 575-322-4127 notoriousbanker.com be on the lookout for my book really soon as well guys i can't tell you enough thank you so very much for listening i'll be back really shortly but until then my name is james the notorious banker thank you so much for listening to my podcast we'll talk to you soon